Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Elmore. My guest today is Alicia Curley. Alicia is the Senior Director with the Center for Excellence for Integrated Health Solutions at the National Council for Mental Wellbeing. She oversees the delivery of training and technical assistance to advance implementation of high-quality care for individuals with mental health and substance use disorders. Prior to her position at the National Council, Alicia also served as the executive leader of a certified community behavioral health center and practice administrator for federally qualified health centers in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, we're talking with Alicia about integrated systems of care. Welcome, Alicia. We're happy to have you. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Good. Well, as we get started, do you want to set a foundation for what you mean when you say integrated systems of care? So it's a big term. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, it is a big term. So when we think about integrated systems of care, we're, we're referring to care that is coordinated and comprehensive. It bridges specialties, clinic teams, non-clinical teams to really focus on what the patient's needs are rather than sort of the system processes. So we transform processes to meet the needs of populations. Integrated care really like incorporates a, a big array of services. So the word integrated sort of means taking a lot of things and pulling them together. So we look at services that are defined for populations. We look at social supports and really thinking about creating a network around a population of clients that's really focused on being team-based. Yeah, so kind of like top-down intervention and really intervening in many, many different levels. Yeah, exactly. And also thinking about how we create um, plans. So we do planning uh, around client care, client interaction with the client and across all of these teams and all of these people. So trying to think about ways to, you know, in traditional behavioral health care, break down those silos. Oftentimes we've got multiple care plans or treatment plans and thinking about what does an integrated plan look like across all of these services, all of these um, partnerships that we have. Yeah. It's a lot to manage, but also such a good viewpoint and so necessary. <laughs> I was, exactly. Yeah. I was noticing on your website, cause I was looking a little bit ahead of time too, into the organization and, and some of perhaps the examples like organization advocates for legislation, increases mental health literacy and awareness, which I thought was great. And then obviously you're supporting, like you're saying the whole system of delivering mental health services and substance use treatment. So it really is organizing quite a bit. Yeah. And I, you know, you can't do it without all of those components. If I were to, you know, try to teach an organization or a state how to transform a system to be integrated without addressing legislation or just sort of basic understanding, it wouldn't be successful. And so it really takes mm. this huge sort of joint effort across the organization, policymakers, you know, practice transformers and change leaders to really work together in this way. Yeah. That's so great. How did you get into this work? How did you end up working with integrated systems instead of more on the ground approach? Yeah. So I started out after college, after undergrad, going to work in a federally qualified health center as an administrator and, and very sort of just understanding what it meant to take care of complex people and vulnerable people who just experienced these really vast disparities in access to care, you know, to preventable services. So in that work, I was able to help take a, a federally qualified primary care center 
and look at systems of care or care pathways for individuals who are experiencing mental health challenges and substance use challenges. This was really sort of foreign territory for those primary care providers. Yeah. Um, and they just experienced really challenges around partnering with community mental health providers. And so a lot of my work just started in like, I'm okay with talking to people. So I'll go talk <laughs> to the psychiatrist and the therapist and hey, why don't you come with me, primary care doc? So a lot of it was doing that and just sort of networking in a way that allowed them to sort of see the value in, in talking to each other and was able to do that in a couple of federally qualified health centers from the primary care side and then bridged over to community mental health and, and was able to sort of expand on that. So my experience has always been working with vulnerable populations, but really finding those huge gaps and figuring out ways to fill them through integrated care. Which is so needed. I mean, I'm, as you're saying that, I'm reflecting on my time being a therapist as well. And there really is unfortunately a big disconnect often between the psychiatrist or, you know, I work with kids often. So between the teacher and the parent and the psychiatrist and the primary care doctor. And so it's so wonderful to have this focus on integrating all of those services. Cause I imagine that makes things a lot more complicated, but successful, which is good. Yeah. yeah. Both for the client and for, for the care teams really. Right. Right. In your work at the Center for Excellence, what are some of the challenges you've seen with integrated care? So that's a sort of a challenging question because of the environment right now. I'd say like pre-pandemic, I could give you this really organized list of like, mm. what are the challenges? You know, practical implementation of models and approaches, billing and sustainability. Those are all things that have always been at sort of the forefront that are challenges to implementing integrated care. And they're not they're not gone because of the pandemic. They're still there. But I'd say today, some of the biggest challenges we have are related to the workforce and how we move or advance integrated care when our workforce is so limited and there's such increased burnout and psychological distress and just a lot of challenges around that. We need to advance our integrated care when folks are really struggling with just having enough staff on board to take care of the clients they have. Yeah, that's true. COVID has changed so much, especially in the mental health field. So I can imagine maybe the bigger picture is a little bit pushed aside for now. And yeah, you're focused more on shoring up the staff and shoring the on the ground systems for a minute. I would say too, you know, at the center of excellence, our primary goal is to advance integrated care through training and technical assistance. So we do, okay. you know, our primary work is training and technical assistance. How can we help you advance your model? And so some challenges that we have in doing that in advancing integrated care are really similar to, to what we talked about around workforce and burnout. People are kind of sick of being on Zoom and mm -hmm. you know, webinars don't have the same appeal that they used to have. And so how can we really change the way that we're delivering training to advance integrated care, but also to meet the needs of, of the current challenges that folks have today? Yeah. That's so interesting. I feel like as a practitioner, it's comforting to know that there is a national council overseeing all of this and thinking about this for us. It's really helpful. and mm -hmm. so necessary. Like you said, especially after COVID, there's just a whole wave of other different challenges happening. What are some of the projects that you're currently working on? You mentioned a little bit of it, but you know, tell us more about what you're working on at the center of excellence. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we look at projects or activities in terms of sort of how, how we deliver TA. So what does the actual activity look like? And then how do we focus that on, you know, a topic? What are the topics that people most need to, to hear about or think about? What does our audience really want and need right now? There's a lot of isolation. I felt it. I'm sure you felt it related to the pandemic. And so folks are really interested in finding ways to connect on sort of a peer-to-peer -peer learning basis. So from an activity perspective, I'd say we'd be most focused on the ECHO model of training and education. 
This is a model that was sort of born out of the University of New Mexico, and it was developed to help connect individual providers and clients to care that they didn't have access to. So for mm-hmm. example, if you needed endocrinology and you were in a rural setting where the, the, the local endocrinologist is 500 miles away, you could tap into this sort of hub model where you could call in and consult with an endocrinologist and, or your provider could. So it sort of doesn't, it doesn't make the people move. It brings care to them without making them move. And it's really been adopted in, in how we work and across a lot of training and technical assistance centers so that folks have an opportunity to, to learn without moving but to also, you know, receive some peer-to-peer learning from experts in the field in a way that allows discussion and interaction and connection. It's very interactive in that way. So that's definitely been a primary focus from an activity perspective. And then from a topic perspective, you know, we're very focused on, on health equity and addressing these huge gaps in health disparity and how integrated care can step into that space and think about this whole person comprehensive care to look at things like socioeconomic challenges, social determinants of health factors. So that's definitely sort of top of mind for a lot of us in integrated care. Yeah. Would you say the word that's coming to mind is holistic. Would you say that that's Mm -hmm. more of like a holistic look at individual treatment? Absolutely. I think traditional behavioral health care has been sort of fragmented, Mm -hmm. not to the fault of the the behavioral health workforce and in structure and sort of policy, it's been that way. And integrated care really looks at sort of bridging that all together and saying, it's not just about these treatment modalities that we have. It's about all these other factors that contribute to worsening outcomes or people's conditions. And so how can we address those sort of outside of like the traditional treatment? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, think now is a good time. People are starting to notice that, right? Like we had to adapt a little bit with COVID, but then also we're starting to realize, okay, yeah, if you're in the middle of a pandemic and inflation and economic crisis, just changing your thoughts isn't necessarily the only thing that's going to help. And there's, there's a lot else going on that needs to be looked at. So that's actually really great. A lot of cool things you guys are working on. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, just also trying to advance integration is still there. And so how can we do that in, in a way that's equitable across all of the workforce who's really struggling right now? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any ideas about that? I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> How do you solve that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we've been really focused on is that actually transforming your model of care into a more integrated system is actually beneficial to your workforce. So mm. we actually have science that proves that team-based care, for example, reduces psychological distress and burnout. Wow. It improves yeah. provider satisfaction and client satisfaction. So actually going through these steps, and this is where we really start working with like organizational leaders and states to say, we know this is a lift, but if you can go through some of these steps to transform your clinical practice to be more integrated, you might have more success with retaining your workforce that you have. So really thinking about it from that way of like, let's optimize the workforce that you have, but then also create opportunities for really like creating a pipeline of people who want to work in a team-based and supportive environment. Absolutely. Yeah. We just did a podcast on provider burnout and one of the the research supports to prevent burnout or heal from burnout is community and teamwork. So that must be the same research you're speaking about too, just different terms of we, we do better being in community. And that is what has been missing drastically the last couple of years. So that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll be on the edge of our seats to see (laughs) what else do you guys come up with? That's pretty great. What does success look like? So as you're integrating all these best levels of care, how do you define success? 
Yeah. So I think, you know, at the provider level, and, and this is something that we're challenged with as a TA center, as a technical assistance center, is how do we measure success at the provider level from the work that we're doing way up here at yeah. sort of the national training level? And so we do a lot of education around what does, you know, after you've implemented these, these levels of care and this coordinated system, how can we start to look at the outcome to the client? And ultimately, that's our top priority. How are we improving the lives and the health? and the quality outcomes for the individuals that we're serving. Did we expand access? Did we expand screening? So success sort of looks like some of those things. Did we create a, a network? Again, like looking back at sort of the principles of integrated care. So did we like create a full network of, of providers and partnerships that can wrap services around clients? How do we measure that? And I think there's a lot of costs related to, to integrated care. Not that that's our top priority, but it is somebody's top priority. And it has we know, to be, yeah. yeah, and it's got to be. So, so, you know, we know that these populations, the cost of care for these populations because of the complexity is somewhere around $290 billion added wow. to our healthcare system. And so wow. when we can start to measure those outcomes and look at reductions in things like hospital use and emergency room and readmission rates, et cetera, we can start to see the impact to those costs, which ultimately sort of sets the individual organization up for sustainability. So success for us at the TA center really looks like, were you able to improve the lives of the clients you served? Were you able to prove the value of the work that you're doing? And then what does that mean for sustainability for you? Mm -hmm. Have you been able to enter into maybe value-based payment models, et cetera? So that's, that's a lot of how we measure our impact. Yeah. Yeah. Those are very factual ways you can measure things, which I like. That's interesting. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Well, you've already mentioned the need for more teamwork focus and maybe in-person interaction since COVID. Are you seeing any other trends that you think would be opportunities for better integrated care beyond that? You know, in terms of trends and just sort of innovations that we're seeing uptick, it's been really cool. You know, we've been advocates for telehealth and, and sort of virtual care for a long time, but providers were really sort of like shoved into, you have to, yes, you absolutely. Provide, or you can't provide any care. And folks don't ever want to go through that process again, but I think now we're in a place where they've sort of stabilized from like, okay, we're crisis mode going into telehealth to this is actually really helpful to us and to our clients and how can we really start to innovate? So we had our big national conference last week, which was just so amazing. I talked to a gentleman who is running an organization in Oklahoma and they have actually expanded their telehealth to put tablets into the hands of first responders. Oh, so awesome. in these rural areas and have been able to connect individuals in mental health crisis to crisis therapists via the tablet. 
Wow. Whereas in the past, these first responders, which are also oftentimes like the police officers or sheriff's office, typically would result in incarceration for these folks. And so now they've got access to a, a crisis therapist. And then there's sort of a decision tree from there that can happen. So really just like mm-hmm. providing access to these innovations and people who I probably wouldn't have thought would have gone this way in the past have really taken it and run with it. And so it's giving p- people access to providers that might be a hundred or 200 miles away from them. Wow. Um, that's so great. Yeah. So that's been really interesting. You know, we've, we've done some cool community learning opportunities where we've given folks the opportunity to innovate. So in other areas, we've seen that providers create hubs for individuals that have really limited access to care and particularly during the pandemic. So they've created sort of these virtual hubs for folks who have 500 miles between their communities and their providers. And although they still have to go somewhere, they're able to do it in sort of a safe space that's in their community. So if they had connectivity issues or just lack of access to devices, they can now tap into their providers. And what has been most you know, important here is that we're increasing access to the clients through this really flexible way of providing care, but we're also incentivizing a lot of the workforce, I think, the flexibility to the workforce, especially during these times of a lot of just burnout has allowed them to maybe work from home a couple of days. They're able to sort of have some more time in between clients because they're not maybe running from room to room. So the flexibility there to be more efficient, we've just heard a lot from the providers. Like we actually like this in the beginning, not so much. It was challenging <laughs> for us to go completely virtual in one to two days. But now I have this flexibility because my family matters too during the pandemic. I, I have a household, so I need to be able to take care of them. And so just a lot of good flexibility, I think, both for clients and providers there. Yeah, I could see that. I'm reflecting on my own time being thrust into telehealth back in, back in the beginning of COVID. I don't think anybody was expecting that, but I do feel like there's been a lot more, like you're saying, flexibility and openness to integrating technology and access and things like that into our field. So that's, there's some good coming out of that. And I love that example of the iPads and the first responders, because there's so many people that are going to be getting help that wouldn't normally be able to. So that's really great. Yeah. I will say too, just, I heard pretty clearly from our whole audience at our national conference last week, which was amazing to hear is that, you know, healthcare and especially behavioral healthcare has really evolved and is continuing to evolve. And I think there's been just such rapid change across the world in the last two years that there's really just a general interest in innovating and keeping up with the times and leveraging technology and some of these really interesting capabilities that we have at our fingertips that I think people have been fearful of or resistant to, or maybe there hasn't been policy to support. So there's definitely, I think, an interest across the field to really just leverage all of these, these cool things that we can, that we can use to deliver more access to care. Right. Right. And I do like, you're talking about that balance though, of not fully going that direction because there is burnout of being online too. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like there's that balance of in-person care and teamwork, but also really using technology to our advantage and to expand and integrate more, which is great. Yeah. Do you have a story that you can share? Maybe like a hallmark moment where a program you led was successfully implemented or you saw a lot of change? Any examples come to mind? 
You know, when I was sort of thinking about this and, and I reflect on my career in integrated health a lot, um, especially as it relates to how I, you know, work with organizations, I want to really put myself in their shoes. This is sort of stepping outside of my national council role, but certainly is connected to the national council. And I talked a little bit about how I started out in integrated care. My last role before I came to the national council, I was working with a pretty large community mental health center in Western PA. They were actually the largest in Western PA. They'd been established back in the 1840s. Sisters of Mercy, very cool legacy, really to serve the poor and sick and those who were sort of the most vulnerable in the community. And, and when I came to this organization, they were serving about 30,000 clients. They had this huge array of services, mental health and substance use treatment from outpatient to partial to ACT teams and residential. So just a lot of care and treatment that they were providing. But most of the individuals they served had zero health care, general health care or primary. Mm. And I'd say about 10% of the overall population was very high risk. People with severe mental illness, substance use challenges. They were maybe on our ACT teams, assertive community treatment, or chronically homeless. A lot of mm. our folks in that category so when I started there, the stories that I heard, my role was working directly with our psychiatrists about the loss of life for these individuals that they were serving was just devastating. On some of our teams, we were losing 10 clients a year to death wow. related to these comorbidities of mental wow. health, substance use, and chronic preventable diseases. So, so when I started my job, it was to help take what I had learned in these at federally qualified health centers, these primary care clinics, and bring it over to this larger mental health system. And they had a very tiny primary care service that had been established really to work with these most severe and, and at-risk at populations. And within my first two years, though, we were lucky enough to get one of SAMHSA's first integrated care grants that they had put out, the awesome. Primary Care Behavioral Health Integration Grant. And I won't go into all the detail about, about what we did with it. We had lots of requirements, grant requirements, service delivery transformation requirements. But I think what I, when I reflect back on that time, what was most important in those early years was really that attention to change management and proving and showing the value of integrated care and what the impacts would be to these clients, knowing that these providers and staff felt so connected to those deaths that had happened yeah. and very responsible. And so my work became obviously, you know, implementing integrated care and aligning with the goals of our grant, but also spending so much time developing relationships between the providers within the organization and also outside of the hospitals, the jails, to really start to help our teams see the value um, and what that impact would mean by creating these partnerships and working together to integrate care. Teaming was like our core focus for this. And <laughs> You know, I think what brought me to the National Council and sort of where I am today is the National Council was really instrumental in all of that. They have been that driving force from that policy perspective mm -hmm. of moving, moving this along really and advancing the field to really push to say like, this is important. People are dying. There's this huge mortality gap for people who have severe mental illness and substance use challenges. They're not getting access to care. And so all of the work that they did, you know, they gave us trainings and tools and resources that we could just pick up and use. They came out and did site visits and helped us establish continuous quality improvement activities. It, we just couldn't have done it without them. But the, the structure that they helped to provide really helped us to break down those that fragmented, siloed behavioral health system of care. It, it was a very steep mountain for us to climb, but just an emphasis for me, at least in, in the work that we put into change management. We wanted our staff, our teams, we wanted this to be a long-term change. We didn't want this to be something like, hey, we got a grant. 
we've got these 12 boxes we have to check off on an annual basis. Let's get it done so we can get the funds. It was really like, this is a transformation and this is like some great funding we have to support it, but this is not going away and here's why. So then like fast forward, you know, several years, this was almost 10 years ago at this point, that, that work, that foundation really primed us. We were able to apply for what is now called the Certified Community Behavioral Health Clinic demonstration and, and also subsequent funding. So we were really able to follow along the nation in transforming in this journey on integrated care. We went from serving 500 clients to 5,000 wow. um, in a matter of four years. So that was a pretty rapid change. And those providers, you know, I, I'm in touch with a lot of them still, those providers still feel that connectedness when you have psychiatrists and family medicine providers and therapists on a team together with medical nurses and care managers, you know, it's just such a huge impact. And I think it's just changed the lives of the people that we serve and us, the team that was really involved in the care. So I take that with me whenever I talk to the clients that we work with through our center of excellence or just other folks, because I've been in their shoes. I know how hard this change can be. So it, it's just something that I carry with me. Yeah. That's a wonderful story and a wonderful example of how it literally saves lives to work at the integrated level. And I love how you're talking about sustainable impact too, because I think so often, you know, we're, we're focused on more of the short term, but it's really comforting to know there's a whole organization out there that's focused on long-term systemic change. That's helpful um, and very, very impactful. It's a great story. <laughs> I'm sure that helps you on the days where the policies are just taking too long and everything's just frustrating. It's nice to, to look back on your successes. Yeah. I think too, you know, it's, it's a great way to share an example of successful integrated care. Yes. Um, yes. You definitely. know, it can be hard for people to take sort of the theoretical or sort of the didactic trainings that we're providing and mm. take that and put it into practice. That can be a challenge when you're providing TA. And I think that transformation, which a lot of organizations have gone through is similarly, you know, through those, those grant funded opportunities have led us to sort of where we are today with, I had mentioned becoming a certified community behavioral health clinic. And, and that really is, I think a wonderful example today of how we can implement integrated care in a sustainable way. And particularly for the behavioral health systems of care. We've focused so much on primary care and general health care mm -hmm. and left out this huge, wonderful service array and individuals who are truly invested in, in the care that they're providing. So, and I can talk about certified community behavioral health clinics. We call them CCBHC for a long time. So I won't go into a ton of detail <laughs> unless you want me to, but it, it certainly is just a great example of how actual integrated care systems can work. Is there like a shortened version you can give us? Yeah, for sure. So, so what this is, is really, it's a, it's a demonstration. It started as a result of the Excellence in Mental Health Act back in 2013. And with it came um, a designed model, essentially, that the federal government pushed out to say, we want to test this. We want you to implement this comprehensive, integrated, coordinated system of care and it's for behavioral health providers. Mm -hmm. And and it created a lot of structure around what had been sort of historically and unstructured from a measurement perspective and an outcomes perspective system of care. And so there's a lot of requirements around it. There's a lot of you know specific measurement, but that has really transformed the behavioral health provider. Now we've got, you know, we started out with 66 clinics in maybe eight states in the very beginning of this model. We now have almost 500 over 40 states. And so really mm -hmm. like the measures and the requirements and sort of that, that emphasis on coordinated and comprehensive integrated care, people are seeing the value really, really quickly. And I think the biggest things that have just been most prominent, you know, we've talked about disparities in access, we've talked about workforce, 
the way that the CCBHC is structured from a payment perspective, as well as from a service array perspective, the, the folks who were involved, and I, I felt this in my organization, we were seeing, you know, 2000 new clients a year, which was unheard of for us. We had reached max capacity like years ago with this wait list that was six months long for people to get in. And so the structure of the CCBHC really helped us to expand that. We had organizations and states who um, have reported being able to see 20 to 50% more clients than they wow. ever have before. So huge impacts to the, the vulnerable people who just haven't had access. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Also just wonderful opportunities for the workforce. The CCBHCs that are involved today, like th- basically up through 2021, I think we had about 9,000 new staff positions created as a result oh, wow. of becoming a CCBHC. Yeah. So these weren't like, we weren't backfilling positions. These were new positions mm-hmm. where we were able to, you know, in, increase access through these new positions. So just really awesome opportunity. And I think the emphasis on integrated care is just phenomenal. And, and what's exciting is that there is measurement related to patient outcomes there. And so we're starting to see what those impacts are to quality of life, to, you know, impact on preventable diseases, to impact on some of the social factors of, you know, our care. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. Thanks for the small tangent. That's actually really relevant, I think, still, because it's a good example of what does this look like in real life and how can we actually help people in real life? Yeah. I want to make sure that our listeners can learn more about this topic and the National Council. Where can they find more information about the National Council? Yeah. So the National Council has a wonderful website. It's just www.nationalcouncil.org. And within that website, you'll see a lot of our focus areas. Our organization does have a policy arm. We have a practice improvement and consulting arm. And also we are operating the mental health first aid for the nation. And so there's a lot of great content there. There's tons of tools and resources, but I think what's most helpful for our audience is really the ability to just sort of tap into us. So there's lots of portals where you'll see, if you have a question, you know, just send it here. And we actually really monitor those things. We have like a 24 hour response rate or something because we want to get connected to people. So even if it's just questions doesn't have to be that you have a specific need or you want to get involved, feel free to use any of those opportunities to connect with the national council. Okay. Yeah. It's a wonderful resource, but what about you and your work? Is there anything you're working on or anywhere people can look to find you? Yeah. So within the national council's webpage, you'll see under our integrated health focus area, as you sort of dive into the website, our center of excellence is listed there. Within the Center of Excellence, we do about 45 webinars a year. We've got lots of opportunities for folks to get involved in the echoes that I talked about, learning collaboratives, and also just a a great opportunity to learn about what are these new models and approaches that our experts are really promoting to help Mm -hmm. folks get, you know, advanced in their integrated care practice. So we can certainly share that link out and it's embedded within our National Council webpage, but there's also lots of other wonderful resources within the webpage. Okay. Yeah. And we'll definitely put those links in the show notes so people can see them. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything I haven't asked about that you feel like is relevant or you just want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. So I think most importantly, you know, related to integrated care, this is a model. There are approaches, there's, you know, lots of technical factors to the work that we do, but I think at, at its basic level, creating opportunities to advance health equity and to really look at these models and approaches as a way to create a sustainable and comprehensive system is is most important. These are not new things, I think, to the behavioral health field specifically. We've sort of been, been talking about this for years, and I think finally people are starting to listen. 
And the pandemic really spotlighted all of these inequities and disparities that we've been, you know, hoping to address over the years. So we have this really great opportunity right now, I think, and and I think it's different than we've ever had before Mm -hmm. to look at how integrated care can really start to address a lot of the complexities to our health system but also start to shorten those gaps that we're seeing across various populations. And so it's just a great opportunity that we've really got to seize. So I certainly encourage everybody to think about integrated care as a way to improve your efficiency as a provider and also your, you know, your, your level of effort to decrease burnout, to think about satisfaction and well-being for your workforce, but also huge impacts to the populations that we're serving. Mm, well said. Yeah. And, and as a, you know, behavioral mental health therapist, I just really appreciate And I'm so grateful for the work that you do and the national council does because it's just so impactful and I'm not very much of a, you know, advocating systems kind of person, but it, it's so nice to know there are people that are doing that on our behalf. Yeah. So it was really interesting to hear and learn more about what you guys are working on and just your thoughts and all the great work you've already accomplished. It's really wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. I really want to remind our listeners that this episode, its resources, and all of our other shows can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash BHT. You can visit triadhq.com slash BHT today and explore our archive. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining in on the conversation. We appreciate you being here with us too, and look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community. And if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.